All right, welcome back to another edition of Croc Talk, brought to you by GraniteRock.com. And all these wonderful gentlemen with me today, Mr. Skip Murphy and Mr. Mike Rogers. I'm Steve McDonald. Uh, we are, of course, the core at GraniteRock.com. We do most of the heavy lifting when it comes to the writing, but we've been adding some folks and bringing on some new talent and some uh, uh, really, really great people. Uh, Johnny Bananas is, is a friggin' riot, so if you haven't read his uh, stuff, you really got to check it out. It's great parody. Um, Nitsukon, of course, has been very consistent with Survival Sunday and Monday Memes and Meme Overflow, which are all huge hits with our readers. So please come and check those out if you haven't been doing that. You can also find us on various social media outlets, which I will list later, because we want to get started. There's a lot going on in the world. There always is. We missed last week because... I was ill, but I'm better now. Can't you tell? And so uh, we have uh, all sorts of things we could talk about. We have a parental rights bill coming up. We have monkeypox. Bill Maher is pissing off the uh, Gestapo. I mean, we've got gas prices climbing. We've got inflation going crazy. And let's just pick a topic and go with it. Why don't we start local? Governor Sununu uh, allegedly signed some um, health care freedom bills today, but I couldn't figure out which ones they were because first day back at work after a couple of weeks, very busy, not a lot of time. These are the days when we really appreciate you other writers who come out and send us op-eds or send us material because it makes it a lot easier for Skip if he has to carry all that weight or me on the days when he can't. So we don't always have time to check out every single topic and every single subject. And like Skip likes to remind you, we get tons of email with lots of great tips, and we can't even scratch the surface of it. That is true. It, I am just amazed at how varied our readership goes into lots of stuff. And uh, I'm very appreciative. Once in a while, we can get to that stuff. Most of it, unfortunately, we can't because we also have our own things that we like to do. I've been doing a lot of um, – oh, lots of hiss now gone. Thank you, Steve. Um, the, uh, with the Dunstock Area uh, Commission, which has now thankfully come to a close uh, with the defeat of HB 1397, which would have uh, given the rich people here in Belknap County the ability to keep their play toy. And now we have it, you know, good conservatives are now getting on that commission and the, uh, the rich people who are not as conservative as they say they are are losing their grip on things and losing their grip on themselves is too. So that's a, that was a good thing. It was cool to see that New Hampshire State Senator Bob Guido was removed from chairing that committee after he made a very bad decision to call the, uh, the chair on the House side an effing idiot or effing liar. Uh, and Chuck Morse, I have to have to applaud what he did. He he basically told Guy to get lost, and uh, he chaired the commission. Uh, I mean that uh, committee of conference, and they they basically killed the bill, and uh, they were done in ten minutes. And probably ten minutes after that, Bob Guida has basically proved my rumor right. He decided he's going to go into retirement and has picked his political son, Tim Lang, to uh, endorse in that. So, yes, we have more blog fodder coming up over the next couple of weeks because this circus ain't done. I'm sorry to hear about Bob Guider because I always thought he was a decent libertarian or conservatarian. 
Uh, but that's the way it is. You step that far out of line, you've got to fall on your sword. Well, I think he's retired at the right time because there are a number of people who have said, Bob's not Bob much lately. And, uh, you know, you never want to wish ill on anybody. Heck, I didn't even wish uh, bad things on Catherine Rogers, the person who always tried to steal my guns legislatively. Um, and I was sorry you to see that she got been, cancer. You should have been at the opening of the session where she was canonized practically by the Democrats. It was nauseating. It's the only word I can describe it. Yeah. Well, it's it's nice to see, though, that Bob has bowed out and hopefully will not return, go into retirement, and, uh, you know, that'll be it. But if he comes back in the political scene, we'll be ready. Yeah, I just say that, that, that's a shame because I had to come to appreciate Bob over time, and it's a, sorry he's gone off the deep end. Anyway, be that as it may, many things going on. Uh, Don Baldock has been pounding the pavement practically all over the state. Not particularly large gatherings, but lots of them, you know, 15, 20, 30 people. And uh, this week, and especially on Wednesday, Lieutenant Colonel Stu Scheller is going to join him. And that was the guy who spoke out about the, uh, the mess up in the departure from Afghanistan and as a result was forced out. But uh, he's decided not to shut up, and he's pounding the pavement with the general this week. I shall be in Pelham on Wednesday evening and hoping to record it for our readers. Excellent, excellent, excellent. So um, I, I really wish I had the update on the New Hampshire Health Freedom Bills. Um, the only reason I knew about it was because Young Americans for Liberty sent out a press release and they didn't include the bill numbers. Naughty, naughty, naughty. I always give the regular media a hard time about that when they talk about legislation and they don't tell you the bill number. This is New Hampshire. you got to say the bill number. And there's just so many bills, ladies and gentlemen. Over a thousand, every session. And most of them are garbage. But uh, if you're going to write about it, Please include the bill number. This is our helpful hint, uh, helpful hint for everybody out there. Um, the other really, really big story that's local only in that it broke in Massachusetts is the uh, invasion of monkeypox, which is the new COVID, I guess. I mean, no, we thought it was no, gonna, no, 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 no. Monkeypox is not the new COVID. No, it's the new HIV. Well, oh, you know, I was too. just going to say that when COVID was starting to wind down and they were beginning to discover that they needed to uh, find something to replace it with, HIV was the thing that was coming up on the radar. And um, now we've got this monkeypox thing. Like... And that stuff, all, that stuff all wraps together because monkeypox per se is a weaker version of smallpox. And if you're immune to smallpox, you probably won't get it, but it's not very pleasant if you do. But it's spread, amongst other things, by close contact and bodily fluids, so it affects some of the same people that are affected by HIV. But that's not all. Uh, some of the stories about how HIV or something like it is coming back are connected to the immunosuppressant effects of the vaccines, especially the mRNA vaccines. So we've got a double whammy here and some serious monkey business. And, and now another story coming in over the transom today is that uh, Wuhan has been in the news once more 
and may have developed a more virulent version of monkeypox. Folks, you can't make this stuff up. Are they trying to kill us or are they just trying to spoil the elections? But by God, there's always one more shoe to drop. This must be an effing centipede. I don't think monkeypox has legs, and here's why. Because they've discovered that it's been spreading because of gay pride festivals in Europe. And that's the death knell for monkeypox, baby. It's, if, if it just becomes obvious that that's how it's been spreading around the world, because uh, I guess Belgium or no, the Canary Islands or someplace had like 80,000 people at a pride parade, but it's been showing up mostly in gay men, uh, much like HIV, I have a feeling that very quickly monkeypox will find a place on the identity politics totem pole, and it'll be this thing. Now, here's a question for you. If it does do that, if it makes the leap, how many trillions of dollars will the Biden administration want to launder in the name of gay rights and monkeypox? Well, two. it's not clear that just being gay is at the top of the identity politics group uh, totem pole anymore. It's now transgender. But the question for that, too, is how much longer will they be? Because I'm, I've been hypothesizing that we have already hit trans, uh, peak trans, just like they used to say we've hit peak oil uh, a few years ago. And now we've come to learn that peak oil is only because of government interference in the marketplace. But anyways, yeah. Uh, the question is, is how many more dollars can we print before said dollars are worthless? It's getting close. And, you know, I wrote an article a few years ago. I may have mentioned this about pushing on a string. And that was uh, after reading up on Forbes and Zero Hedge and a few other places. Essentially, apart from uh, the fact that people want our money for a variety of reasons, there's also the worldwide trade in stuffing dollars into the mattress because they're worth more than the local currency. Well, if it gets to the point where some other currency or combination fills that role better, those dollars that were leaving the country at a good price will no longer get a good price. And then collapse cometh. Mike is our fiat, Mike is our fiat money guy, by the way, in case of, uh, you don't know that. If those of you who are listening and, and aren't frequent readers, shame on you. Yeah, it's definitely a case where there has already been a push by China and Russia and perhaps India as well, the, you know, the BRIC nations as they were known, to supplant the dollar as the, uh, the default world uh, currency. And, Mike, you could probably tell me, you know, the reserve currency, that's the word I'm looking for. Global reserve currency. Zero Hedge yeah. prints a chart every so often of the uh, overlapping rise and fall of the various reserve currencies, including the pound and the dollar and what's next, we wonder. And that's the thing. You know, the dollar has had an exceedingly good run, better than the pound had. Can it last much longer? Well, it could if you had Trumpian economics and we had something to sell the world. But whilst we are importing oil and not producing our own, it puts us in a very weak bargaining position. Now, Mike, I don't know if you've been following it. There's, there's a, there is a parallel move to replace the dollar as the petrodollar. And I know that Russia and Iran and a few other nations have been talking about finding a way to disconnect the dollar from fossil fuels. 
I absolutely have been following that. And a friend Ouija, who uh, I should get more of his stuff printed, uh, has been observing the trade between Russia and China. He postulates that uh, what's actually going on here is that China will become the arms supplier to Russia, while Russia is the fuel supplier to China, and they won't need to trade dollars at all for that. And if India and Brazil join in, you begin to see a, a serious move away, which is not good at all. Um, he also further postulates that China is likely to move in and uh, seize parts of Russia over time. That's a little more of a stretch, but hey, who's nearer to Eastern uh, Russia, China or Moscow? Hmm. That's true. Well, I, I mean, I've read in, in various tomes over the years, and obviously the Chinese have gotten very militant lately, openly militant. So the idea that they might want to just grab large chunks of, of uh, eastern Russia doesn't surprise me at all. So I guess it depends on the nature of the relationship. Uh, China doesn't necessarily need Russia so much. Uh, oil, yeah, sure, gas. But in the grand scheme of things... The Chinese military could probably kick the Russian military's ass overnight and just take whatever they wanted. And since they're all Marxists, it's in their blood. They're, they all have the authoritarian tick. Sooner or later, they're just going to say, you know what? Putin's really busy over there in Ukraine. Why don't we just step in and take some stuff? I, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon, but it really wouldn't surprise me. Should we start laughing at that if it happens? Mm, yes, but it won't end well for the world as a whole, I suspect. You know, it's the old uh, adage, what's mine is mine and what's yours is mine. <laughs> yeah, but how large could China get before it couldn't govern at all? Look what happened to the Soviet Union after 70 years with so many disparate cultures and nations. It finally blew up, especially, you know, Ronald, Ronnie Reagan certainly gave them a boot when, they decided, when he decided, we'll just outspend them in the arms race. Yeah, unfortunately, that's a little harder to do these days. Unless, like I said, we have commodities that we are selling that the world has to have. Well, China hasn't exactly put themselves and covered themselves with glory on the economic uh, world stage. A lot of people are still pulling out. And, uh, you know, with them saber rattling over Taiwan, that's not going to help much either. And it's China knows that it's not. got a demographic time. time bomb ready to go off. And uh, either they make all their moves now or they're not going to have the manpower to do it. Well, so the, you know, the parallels with Russia are even closer. China has a Potemkin economy, lots of empty buildings and false fronts, effectively. Uh, not only that, but uh, Taiwan knows what's going on. Uh, did you see the news article where TSMC, that stands for Taiwan uh, Semiconductor uh, Manufacturing uh, Corporation, has decided to open a foundry in Singapore to give themselves diversification. And we know that the most savvy uh, equipment suppliers in the USA, even though they really should and could build it here, have at least diversified. Apple, for example, doesn't have just stuff made in China. It has stuff made in Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, Vietnam, and Taiwan. Now, Mike, hasn't China been manipulating their own currency for decades now? That's got to play into this. Well, it, it has, yes, Steve. But, you know, we've made much more noise about it than I think it's really worth. 
the main thing they've been doing is manipulating their economy. And as, as a result, it's hollow. And I think that's the bigger risk. You know, if you suddenly get a collapse and a giant sucking sound in China, it's uh, going to disrupt world trade overall. Well, isn't that happening already? Because they've just shut down another multi-million uh, person city on the seacoast that's, that's actually under the thumb of the Chinese uh, Communist Party rather than being like um, its own mayor and council and all that other stuff. They've shut it down under their COVID zero policy, which means all the shipping has just shut right down. You know, it's enough times that uh, President Z keeps doing that because he can't lose face by saying, oh, my policy was wrong. No, we're going to double down. We don't care how many doors we have to weld shut. That's right. Um, we have to pretend. And, you know, to... people are going to start looking at that and say, maybe not a good idea to depend on China for our supply chain. Well, the Chinese citizens have been screaming for two years that it's all fake. It's all fake. This zero COVID policy doesn't work. It doesn't work wherever it's tried. It didn't work in New Zealand. It's not worked in Australia. It's not worked here, although we've not quite gone for zero. It was not much use in most of Europe. And the sensible man in that bunch was Sweden, closely followed by Denmark, who decided fairly early on that we're going to admit that it doesn't work and ride it out. And so they did. Um, but Shanghai is one of the world's most cosmopolitan cities. It is a bustling hub of multiple races and, and cultures and languages. It has influence from the French, the British, and many other countries, as well as Chinese. It was the commerce hub of China, that, that and Hong Kong, of course. And they've already started to dismantle the engine of Hong Kong, and now they're going after Shanghai. Don't tell me this is just about COVID. It's about crushing, like they always do with socialists, it's about crushing the wealthy middle class so they can't rise up against you. All right, we're going to jump in here for a second. Quick break. You can find us at granitrock.com. We are also on Gab, Gab TV, MeWe, Getter, Codius Minds, Locals.com, and Twitter. You, uh, your best bet is to go to granitrock.com, though, and we are still working on an app. So hopefully sometime before the end of the year we'll have something for you to do with an app. But that's in the not-so-distant future. So we want to uh, move on to another topic. I don't know. Um, Skip, pick something, and run with it. Okay. HB 1431, since you made this think about the, the media not giving you the bill numbers, that is the Parental Bill of Rights, which was basically uh, it's similar to that in Florida and probably about a dozen other uh, states as well where because of what school boards and the educational industrial complex has been doing to parents over who has control over their kids, this was a bill that codified what a lot of constitutional uh, um, Supreme Court decisions have made, which is, yes, parents are in charge of their children, no matter where they happen to be, that's including schools. And, um, yeah, a lot of parents here in New Hampshire very upset about what's going on. Again, full disclosure, I'm suing uh, the Guilford School Board over this because part of it 
is a codification of, oh, the Guilford School Board gave itself its own power to lie to parents. And I proved that at the last school board meeting when I asked my uh, the, the grandson's uh, elementary school principal in the full meeting with lots of, of uh, parents and kids behind me, what is the transgender status of my legal son? And she said, I have to follow this policy. And I got to lambaste the school board over that. And, of course, we have the Manchester School uh, lawsuit where they were lying to a parent by not telling the, her the transgender status until a teacher let uh, slip her 12-year-old daughter's male name or transgender name or whatever. You know, if I don't get it right, Chris Urchel of the LGBTQ Advocates and uh, Legal Defenders is going to be upset with me anyways, and hopefully he saw the uh, title. Uh, of one of my posts from yesterday, basically he's saying, oh, he's anti-parent because parents can't be, in not so many words, but basically taking the nuance, oh, we cannot trust parents to love their children because there's that whole uproar going on that's really anti-parent. So we're going to see what's going to happen. And I've mentioned him now a couple more times. Now I get to mention him on Grok Talk. I mentioned him on a on a uh, Skip Saunterings snippet uh, podcast that will be coming up in a couple of days. I'm tired of putting up with these LGBT folks who believe they know better than me how to raise my son or any other parent. But anyways, hard lifting. Again, it went to uh, a a committee of conference between the Senate and the uh, House. And um, Pre uh, New Hampshire State Rep Kimberly Rice, who was also the pro temp, speaker pro tem, basically threw up her hands when the left decided to say, well, what about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? And she caught on to the whole nuance that transgender kids, good. Their transgender kids' parents are already unfit and to be judged guilty of whatever the left wants them to be. Well, there was such an uproar and uphew of, uh, you know, from the base, from the parents. What happened is that Jason Osborne and Sherm Packard, and I'm giving kudos to Sherm Packard and Jason Osborne for saying, Enough of this stuff. This is important to the people who vote for the party. And they kind of pushed her down the heap. And Jason Osborne took over. And uh, just like uh, Chuck Morse did with the other bill I mentioned earlier, Jason Osborne said, this is going to pass. And it will be voted on the uh, House and the Senate floors this coming Thursday, because there were like one or two sentences that are a little bit different that they have to both agree to, then the problem is New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu, a.k.a. Baby Huey, has come out and, like he has all the other times, he's good on taxes, good on guns, and is absolutely a leftist when it comes to social issues. He's taking the transgender militant advocacy folks um not taking them on, but joining with them and against parents. So His he official said, new title is Governor Groomer, by the way. Governor Groomer. Yes, our very yeah, own rockster Ed Mosca came up with that. I think it's great. Governor Groomer, if you're going to fall in and support those people who, hey, how many stories have I put up now 
about uh, school administration and counselors and teachers grooming uh, small children, preteens. You know, you've fallen in with them. You deserve the title, Governor Groomer. Well, Yeehaw, so he, Papa Smurf is, ought to be really proud at this point. Well, Papa Smurf didn't want him to run. Maybe now we understand why. At least he was halfway conservative. In fact, more than halfway. Uh, so what's more interesting, I think, is, uh, you know, that he's trying to run for re-election, having given up on the Senate seat because he was too far left and wasn't getting the votes. And yet he's trying to position himself to the left of the leftists. How does that work? Can somebody ask Scott Brown how it worked running against Elizabeth Warren <laughs> or Gene Shaheen or whoever it was last time? It didn't work. It didn't work because no matter how nice a guy he is, he tried to get between between the left side of people like that and the guardrail. There ain't no room there. You get squashed. Governor Groomer basically has said, I'm going to get between you, Mr. And Mrs. Parent and your child by siding with the school, the the educational industrial complex. That is not a good political place to be where you're telling parents you are bad parents. I'm curious about what he's thinking. I don't know what if he's doing internal polling. I don't know who's who's advising him on some of these decisions and some of the things he said, like the crap about Trump. Does he I mean, 30 Literally, a third of New Hampshire is registered as independent. Whether they're Democrats or Republicans doesn't matter. They're independents. About 30% is Democrat, about 30% is Republican. So he's playing to the independents and maybe moderate Democrats, but he's pissing off a lot of Republicans. Somebody close to him is telling him that he's not doing that or something. I, I don't understand. I, I, I get messages from people. You know, you get emails. We all get them. Uh, people send us stuff on social media. An increasing number of people who I would not have expected are really not happy with this guy. Governor Groomer is irritating his base a great deal. Now, I know he's probably relying on the likelihood that they'll say, well, you know what? Whichever Democrat they manage to push up against him is going to be a lot worse. But I think we've covered this topic hundreds and hundreds of times. There is a point at which... Regular Republicans and conservatives will punish a Republican candidate for being a Democrat. I just don't think he expects that's ever going to happen. Well, didn't we do that with Scott Brown Brown in the general election? Remember, I was the one who picked up on what he said, that at near the end of his term, his uh, fill-in term, he was voting 60% with the Democrats and 40% with the Republicans, and he was happy over it. I couldn't. Uh, the first time I heard, I said he's got a, He he must have made a faux pas and got the parties mixed up. But he kept repeating it and repeating it and repeating it, expecting that in his reading of the room, that being an independent of his party was a good thing, and that the Republicans would, you know, give him props over that. Well, no. it didn't, didn't work out for McNasty that well either, did it? No, 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 I mean, not at all. I mean, this this is just plain silliness. And, you know, there's there's more than that, just that. Not only did Scott Brown misread the room and lose to two different women who he couldn't get to the left side of, but Charlie Bass. Remember Charlie? When he lost to Paul Hodes because the Hodes of hell was so far left, but he was genuine about it. And Charlie tried pandering to the middle and left, and 
people decided that if they wanted a Democrat, they'd vote for the real thing. Yep, there was another part of that story that, you know, he was part of that Main Street Republican uh, clique that his father had started. And basically, they were the progressives just hiding under Republican sheepskins. And when, uh, oh gosh, what was her name? The uh, the one that would follow a dollar bill at the end of a string, former uh, NHGOP chair. What was her name? Jennifer Horn. Yes. Squired him around to try to get folks like us to vote for him. He promised that he was only going to do one more term. What did he do? Three quarters of the way through the term, he made it known. Oh, I'm going to run again. Well, that was the last straw. Yeah. Uh, and CD2 has been impossible to keep ever since. Well, yeah. we, once we let McCluster get in there, she's uh, managed to rack up just good enough constituent service that people think she's okay, and that's not a great place to be. Uh, My understanding is that she's a really nice lady, that, you know, if you talk to her in a nonpartisan manner, she's very pleasant, and she can be very personable. And that's an excellent skill to have if you're going to be out in public, especially in CD2, which is a Democrat district, really. Uh, we could have fixed that, but Sununu screwed it up. And then, um, isn't it piling up for for Governor Groomer how many bad decisions he's making? That's yet another yeah, one. Oh man! You know, we're going to be ten years down the road. We're going to be looking back at Chris's tenure and going, "Well, we had our gun rights, and you know, the economy was pretty decent, but he pretty much effed us up on everything else." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, and as Breitbart said, it, if you want a mostly harmless, ladies and gentlemen, I give you Governor John Lynch, who was a Democrat. Yeah, well, he was mostly Breitbart, harmless. Andrew Breitbart famously said, "Politics is downstream from culture," and unfortunately for us, Governor Groomer, I, I'm really starting to like that phrase. Governor Groomer has basically cleared the minefields away for the left to continue their cultural assault on the rest of us. So what does that mean for the for conservatives and the Republican Party? Well, it's rough in New Hampshire because we are probably the last bastion in New England that hasn't fallen off a socialist cliff. And so I think Sununu is just playing his odds. He's like, well, this is a really kind of a purple state, and he thinks that he can get away with it because let's be honest, you know, John Lynch, while he's, while Sununu is a lot like John Lynch, they're both relatively personable people. Most voters, especially the ill-informed think that he's a nice enough guy. I'll vote for him. You know, even some Democrats will do it. John Lynch had a lot of support across the spectrum just because he was kind of a nice guy and he kind of acted like a moderate. And then he, you know, then the left would pr apply pressure to him and he would just crack and, and, yeah. and vote would, for would, all those really sign, nasty issues. He would sign bills that we didn't like, but in his public pronouncements, he seemed like an okay guy. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, Sununu really is just our version of John Lynch. He really is. And I think that's how he's playing it. And he just wants to be governor for as long as he can be governor. I know there's rumors that he might run for president, but that's total nonsense oh, because he has zero... Zero name recognition outside of New Hampshire, with the exclusion of pissing off all the Trump supporters. Yes. Anyway, yeah. while we're talking about groomers and people being on the wrong side of the aisle, let's talk about Bill Maher. Yes. Bill Maher gave well, an opening rant on his monologue a couple of nights, you know, his show a couple of nights ago, 
to his largely left-wing audience, and he went on and on about LGBTQ and the excesses of the movement and the things that they're doing, and also about the geographical dispersion. And what he found was most interesting was, you know, on the one hand, we're claiming that the LGBTQ population is increasing, doubling every decade or so. So by about 2050, we're all going to be gay. Yeah, right. That, that doesn't work. But what he said was really interesting was that the enclaves where those numbers really show up are all, you know, tip-top Democrat enclaves, San Francisco, L.A., uh, you know, the, the Blue Coasts, basically. And the, the rest of the country just isn't like that. So he says either there's massive peer pressure in Idaho and Iowa, or just maybe uh, it's all made up uh, by, you know, being fashionable in these blue places. Yeah, I put that up, by the way, Mike, and uh, it re I, I listened to it. And I'm going, how, how is he going to actually stay on the air, e even uh, on the network that he's on, even on HBO? But I'm sitting there. And what was priceless, he also, on that show, had Donna Brazil, who yeah. is a Democrat <laughs> operative, former DNC uh, muckety-muck. And wasn't and the, her face the, priceless? Oh, it was. It's like, I can't believe he's saying this. And then she started to get angry. And the cameras cut at just the right time. You could <laughs> see her at first, very tight lip, trying to contain herself. And then what, when it sunk in that he wasn't going to stop, they cut away to an angry shot. And, it's like, and then there was nothing they could do or she could do. But wait, there's more. So I mentioned the mostly left-wing audience. Did you notice that the audience mostly laughed and appreciated his rant? In other words, this movement has succeeded in pissing off a large chunk of Democrats as well as Republicans. How the hell are you going to hold your coalition of the perpetually aggrieved together when you're aggrieving a whole bunch of them yourself? Oh, it, it absolutely was nuts. And, you know, if you want to go and uh, find it, it's called the left and the LGBTQR's militants aren't happy with Bill Maher anymore. And I put it up on the 20s. Uh, well, basically, today is the 23rd. Yeah, put it up yesterday. And it was just unbelievable. And it goes back again. If the comedians are starting to throw darts and arrows at the transgender militants, I think we have started to get to... Uh, peak trans because I think people are starting to say enough of these people who want to shut down debate, shut down the silence and do anything that they can to basically rule the world as far as culture is concerned. And <laughs> it was just amazing to listen to. It was, it was very good. It was a good thing. And this actually sort of brings me back to the um, parental rights bill. There is going to be a significant effort to, um, I know Sununu has said he plans on vetoing it, but a lot of groups are hoping to bring a lot of pressure um, after its passage, which we expect it to pass on Thursday. A lot of pressure on Governor Sununu. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, for those of you listening, we need to put a lot of pressure on him. He needs to get so many phone calls 
and so many emails from parents. Uh, not out of state, please. I mean, we appreciate your support, but he really needs to hear from people in New Hampshire who are parents of students or children. Or, you know, if you're a taxpayer and you're paying taxes in a school, and if you live in a town in New Hampshire, you are paying taxes for a school. You need to reach out to him and let him know in a polite manner. Don't be a jerk because that really doesn't help. I mean, there's a time and a place for that. It's called Granite Rock. And um, we. <laughs> that's us. That's us, yeah. And, um, you know, you need to explain to him that, you know, what he's basically saying is the school district has more rights to your children than you do. And that. He will pay a political price. You have to. Politicians only feel political pain. That's all you can do. Otherwise, they just float around with all the people kissing their ass in their office and all their consultants and all the people who are riding their coattails and and hoping for uh, dreams of higher office someday or whatever, uh, or a better gig with another elected official. Uh, They're going to tell him what he wants to hear. And Sunun has been doing this, what is it, three terms now? And he's going for four, and I, odds are pretty good that he'll get it, but he's not as popular as he was two terms ago. And he knows that. That's why he didn't run for Senate, because he can't beat Maggie. There's no clear path to victory for him. And so he had to, he had to bow out. I mean, it just, there's just, it's just too embarrassing. He can probably win the governor's race again. But he needs to understand that maybe... Maybe not. You know, if enough parents tell him, look, this is a hill for me to die on. If you if you don't think that I have more control over my children than the government, we have a problem. Well, yeah. it's one I mean, of the his things polling that's driving. Has gone from, yeah, sorry. Um, After you, Skip. Yeah, his polling has dropped from a high of 76 down to, to the low 50s at this point. And I'm going to tell you, not just to call Governor Groomer's office and let them have it there. You know who else you want to call? Because he is putting all of them at risk. Call the NHGOP office. Ask for Steve Stepanek, who is the chair, and give him a piece of your mind. If You, you can find it by going to nhgop.org. Go to the bottom, look, look at the contact. Then, in the About page, it lists all of the people who are on the Executive Committee. And maybe, even if you're a Democrat, you can look at this that that chart of uh, the the chairman and this group and that group, contact them. Let them know of your pain and that the pain that they are going to suffer if this thing goes through. I will tell you in Belknap County, I'm extremely fortunate that Bel- the Belknap County Executive Committee for the Republicans, Sununu already hates because they will stand up to him. They don't care what, it, what you know, he puts on his pants the same way they do, and they are very conservative, and I'm glad to see it. But contact them. Contact every one of your county uh, chairs. Contact the city chairs. Contact your reps. Contact your state senators, if especially if they are Republicans, which we do have a majority here. There are always going to be those who are Republican Republicans for the sake of, Repu- of the Republican Party. Those are a waste of time in my uh, estimation, but call everybody else. Your rep is probably within walking distance. Your senator, a car drive away. You could go down to Concord and, you know, say something to the governor's secretary or visit over on Water Street, the NHGOP headquarters. 
make it known that you are going to make it politically tough for them uh, come November. Indeed. And, and the other thing I was going to say is this is fueling the homeschool movement like you wouldn't believe. People are willing to make sacrifices, even though they're still paying taxes for schools they'd rather not use. They're willing to make sacrifices and teach their kids rather than have the teachers' unions get their nasty little mitts on them. It's going to make a huge difference, maybe even enough to defund some public schools, and that would be a great thing. Yep, and there is a, a, a movement going on here in New Hampshire to establish more public charter schools. Our friend Leo Plant has just established one out in the Peterborough area. Um, I know Harold Kalugian of Hillsdale College, who lives here in New Hampshire, ha has told me that there is a complete suite of curriculum for charter schools that they have ready. I am talking with other people, or they're contacting me. How do we set up a charter school? So people are starting to say, if we can't get our Republican Party to do the right thing by we the parents then we're going to go off on our own and do it ourselves. And that should give them real big thoughts to consider that they are alienating the people they need to vote them into office or keep them there. Right. And you can't just slide along and because you're a Republican and they're registered as a Republican. and That just doesn't work. They're I mean, not, if you're going to pretend to be... If you're going to pretend to be an independent Republican, you know, sort of a centrist, then you're going to continue to run into a situation like we had with Neil Weatherby in Derry, who is a Democrat and a Bernie supporter, who ran as a Republican in a primary to try to replace the Republicans with a Democrat, so that in the general, you would have had a Democrat to vote for and a Democrat registered as a Republican. And if you're going to be a centrist, a guy like Neil Weatherby, he, he didn't do very well in Derry because we... We took the hot irons to his campaign and uh, with some help from some nice people over in the dairy area who provided us with lots of crazy social media stuff from, from Neil and his wife, uh, we were able to derail that. But um, there's a lot of examples of it. Uh, we've had candidates in the past who changed their party affiliation to vote in a primary to independent and didn't change it back in time or changed it to Republican, for example, because you can do that. And uh, we had a situation up north where we had – a Democrat running as a Republican in a primary with a Republican, and he beat the Republican. So you had a Democrat registered as a Republican running for a county office against a Democrat. And so you've got two Democrats, ideologically, regardless of party affiliation, who are, one of them's going to win, and you're going to get a Democrat. If you're going to be an independent-minded Republican pretending to cross the aisle the Democrats are not shy about using this tactic. They're very aggressive about it now. We don't even begin to know how many seats they're going to try to take using this tactic, but they're going to use it. And if you're going to be a squish, those Democrats are going to take your seat as Republicans. They're not going to vote Republican. They're going to switch parties at some point, but you're going to lose your majority, and you're not even going to know it until it's too late. Yeah, and unfortunately, the guy that I've depended upon for the last few years to to give if I give them a name, tell me what the vote is that they've taken. Uh, we're not going to be able to detect them because that person has had to be working on their house for this past year and had to give it up. 
So we have no way of knowing who voted how in a very easy way to get at it. And it's a lot of work that, you know, that person did it for years and years and years. And too many people, I think, took it for granted. That's, that's true. That's, that's, that's true. All right. So um, go ahead, Mike. I'm sorry. All right, that's indeed a shame. Uh, I had a couple other things. So Stacey Abrams, I hate Georgia and the feelings mutual. Yes. Yes. You know, I mean, that's a great campaign slogan if you're going to run for governor yeah. of Georgia. She's got, I hate Georgia. She's got multiple homes in the state. She reached a consent decree with the Republican Secretary of State during the last cycle because she claimed to have been cheated in 2018. Well, that consent decree, decree probably hurt Trump's chances, but she still didn't win anything. And now she's up again, and she's saying she hates living there. It's so unfair, but she has several homes in the state. And already the people there can see she's a phony. Do you really think they're going to vote for her now? She's another she's another Bernie Sanders that, you know, vote out these millionaires and billionaires and all the, you know, tax them up the wazoo until he became a millionaire. And now he has three homes scattered across the, the nation as well. Two in uh, Vermont and one in D.C. I yeah. He even has four <laughs> Well, I think Stacy's problem is that she's pretty sure. Well, obviously, she still thinks she won the last time. She does she still call herself governor? I don't remember. But anyway, um, they did a really good job of stealing the 2020 election. So I think she feels pretty comfortable with her, you know, prospects. Even though she didn't win anything, um, because she's really kind of a horrible person. I just think that, you know, she's got that hubris. She's got that narcissism. She's like, I really am the greatest thing, and I don't care how much how many, how much I down-talk my own state or how many homes I live in or whatever, how much money I have now, all of a sudden, even though I've never actually won an election. Yeah. I, I just think that she thinks, like, it's her seat. She deserves it. She's going to win it, and I don't want her to just lose. I want her to lose big. Yep. Well, I mean, she fancies herself. And what was it? Time magazine or Newsweek? That's that cover with her, the, with the smoke and everything and her chest jutting out like a, like an oversized statue. He said, trying to be kind or trying not to be rude. More to the point. <laughs> I mean that and she's a novelist and she's this and she's that, but she damn well isn't a good politician and she got rejected soundly. Well, she's rich now, so I mean, it really doesn't matter. No, and isn't that the point of Democrats getting into politics anyway to get rich? Right. Yeah, I, I, that's what Marxists do, right? Now, people who've attended my Guy Fawkes parties have noticed that when I stenciled the H on the front of one of my Guy figures, the arrow didn't point across like I'm with her, it pointed straight down. Well, straight down is where it's going because Michael Sussman is on trial by uh, by John Durham, and he's being charged with lying to the FBI. Not merely that he made up the stories about Trump Organization, Alpha Bank in Russia, and lines of communication, which was rather specious to begin with. And by the way, FBI agents have since admitted that the evidence didn't hold up. 
More to the point, he represented himself to James Baker at the FBI, who was their counsel at the time, as representing himself, not representing a political campaign. And at that time, he and his law firm were being paid by the Clinton campaign. And as if, if that wasn't bad enough, uh, Robbie Mook, who ran the campaign for Hillary in that season, was put on the witness stand by uh, Sussman, and he admitted that they ran the whole scheme of Russiagate by Hillary, and she approved it. So the rot comes from the top. Very, very fishy. I was listening to Howie Carr on the way home, and I usually get stuck with ads. There's lots of ads on Howie Carr, and of course it's AM radio, and I have to drive through Amherst, and there's a cellular dead zone in there that tends to wipe out the AM signal. But I did catch him talking uh, to Grace about how there seems to be this consensus that the jury in this trial is just a bunch of Clinton flunkies, and it doesn't matter what evidence they present, they're not going to convict him. Anybody heard anything uh, like that? Yes, I'd heard that. I'd also heard that the judge had effectively set up an obstacle course for uh, Durham's evidence. But the admissions in court, I think it was yesterday, are going to drag some of that evidence out into the open anyway. So it's going to get a good airing, and it's not going to look good for Clinton and her flunkies. Whether any convictions are handed down is another matter. But the. Uh, the evidence will get aired, and that's a great thing. All right. Well, I will be really, really, really surprised if anybody gets convicted of anything in this. I know Durham's been doing the, you know, yeoman's work, digging in and finding the evidence and, and making it public. But once again, we're talking about the Clintons here. I mean, they've they've gotten away with so much crime. Uh, is there any expectation that anybody named Clinton will ever, ever, I mean, other than Bill getting impeached in the House but not removed from office in the Senate, any kind of punishment for any of this horrible stuff they've done? Probably not, unless uh, Clinton, Bill, that is, has unmentionable diseases from his uh, adventures. But, uh, you know, that's not a punishment you'd actually wish on anybody. All right. Um, there were a couple other things, depending on what else Skip's got to bring up. Um, there was an ep there was an Epoch Times article. This uh, Robert Snow, a pilot for American Airlines, the story's done the rounds of some of the sort of off front page sites, but the Epoch Times is beginning to be a real news site. And Epoch Times and Newsmax have carried this story. When the government and the airlines were mandating COVID vaccines, he got vaccinated late in 2021. Well, in April this year, he landed and was on a break between flights and he collapsed of a heart attack. He's now no longer able to fly and it's directly traceable to the vaccine. And Dr. Peter McCullough, one of the better and more reliable ones at, at analyzing this stuff, has uh, confirmed the, the situation. Anyway, it's a good long story in the Epoch Times. And the thing is, we've got all these pilots up there, and some of them are ticking time bombs. Not all of them. You know, the vaccine is very much like Russian roulette. You may, you may get uh, a milder dose of it. You may get it where it all goes into the muscle and spreads out slowly. 
you may get it where it hits a vein, in which case it can do more damage more quickly. There, and, and there's the different types, and some of them cause clots more readily than others. But none of these things are totally harmless. And, you know, the pilots, frankly, are scared to death that they're going to lose their livelihoods and become unable to fly. It's not a good place to be. And yes, folks, these are flying us around, and they don't want to get looked at too closely in case they have to stop flying until suddenly the flying stops. Well, commercial airline pilots make a lot of money, and it's a lifestyle. Once you earn that kind of money, you start to live that way. And to have it taken away from you because you were forced to take an experimental drug. I just wish there were more ways for more people to have more lawsuits, because I know everybody was given immunity up and down the chain because they knew how bad it was. You know, they released another, what, 50 or 90,000 pages of documents, and you've seen, I don't know if you've seen them, but websites like msn.com have these things like, no, the Pfizer documents don't say the vaccine is dangerous. And I'm like, yeah, you could just say that because there's probably a paragraph somewhere in there that says that, but the other 250,000 paragraphs all suggest that there's nothing good about this, that it doesn't do what it was supposed to, and it's not safe. No, and, and what's what's really interesting, you know, these document dumps are happening and most people will glaze over and nobody's really studying it except there are crowdsourced analysis sites where people are splitting this up a few pages at a time and they're going through it with fine tooth combs and reporting back and the analysis is happening and it is not good uh, well yeah steve kirsch has done it um there's a couple of people on substack that do it there is a website that has every single document. I don't have it in front of me right now, but I have a link to it. Um, we can share it again on granitrock.com. But they have every single page that has been released if you want to look at it for yourself. But I agree with you, Mike. It's a lot like Supreme Court decisions. You know, you're you're kind of looking for the sound bites. You're looking for a few key things, some nice. You're like you're liking for you're liking for looking for a couple of pithy paragraphs from Clarence Thomas if you want to understand the ruling. Right, you really just want to know. Okay, we understand basically what the constitutional right is. Tell me in the right context and in words that I can share with people that are you know not too heavily legalese why this is good or bad. And so you're not going to get that from you know 150,000 pages of Pfizer documents. So it is kind of cool that we have these people out here who are doing that, and, and we do reference them, we do link to them, we do share their content, but um, there's a, a whole list of people, we'll have to put one together and publish it, that you need to go check out on Substack and um, support them if you can, because these people are, I mean, Steve Kirsch is making a living doing five, this. Five, five and, bucks um, a month. Well, Steve Kirsch was a, a very rich entrepreneur when he started this. Yeah, I know, but still, I mean, he's spending all his time on oh, this. He is. I mean, this has become this has become his mission. And if you spend any time on his website, you'll be like, "Wow, this guy's really well, just yeah, digging there's in." That there's Dr. Robert Malone uh, and his site on Substack, and he's he and his wife have effectively given up any other uh, you know serious work or income to to pursue this. There's the, the bad cat, El Gato Mallow, who blogs as bad catitude on Substack. He is what I call a catistician par excellence. He analyzes numbers like you wouldn't believe and makes them talk sense. Very, very good stuff. Mark Giraudot, 
um, COVID Mythbusters. And of course, Alex Berenson, the escapee from the New York Times. He's not 100% with the other guys. He's pulled a couple of them apart. But in spite of his leftist leanings, he still tells mostly the truth and he gets a lot of good information. And all of these sites don't just look at US stats. They look at UK stats, they look at other countries in Europe, they look around the world, they pull the whole thing together. And sorry to say, the arrows mostly point in one direction. The the numbers for ordinary people, you know, we've been suspecting, you and I, Steve particularly, as VAERS deaths go up to 20, 25K, and we think it's underreported by at least 10X, and real COVID deaths, not the ones that are with, but from, are under 200K, and maybe half of those were preventable. And you're starting to look at numbers are upside down. Well, Steve Kirsch has been doing semi-scientific polls, but he's moved on from just polling his own base, which, of course, would be biased against the vaccines, to getting third-party polling companies to run unbiased surveys across a lot of people and the numbers are coming back and the numbers are coming back such that at least 500,000 people may have been killed by these vaccines and that the kill to cure ratio is upside down badly but that's not all about six months ago maybe a bit longer a statistician called Toby Rogers not related analyze the risk reward for kids and he came up with the numbers that it would take 117 kids dead of the vaccine to save one kid well guess what kirsch has uh, more definitive numbers and it's now at 336 to one I knew they were bad because kids, uh, kids don't, kids never, don't I mean, need it. We've been reporting this since early on. The children really didn't have much in the way to worry about it. They didn't get they didn't get heavy duty symptoms, and, and the few that did usually had comorbidities. Anybody under twenty didn't need the damn vaccine, and that was proof in New Hampshire. I mean, the first COVID death under twenty was a vaccinated person. So it's kind of crazy. And I'm glad they're going to keep digging because this is one of those things. It's like Piltdown, man. You know, people forgot about that. And I like to keep bringing it up because of global warming and all this other stuff. But for 40 years, Piltdown, man, was the definitive bridge between the apes and the people. And then somebody realized it was just fake. It was a fraud. It was an assembled, statu- uh, assembled yeah, skeleton out of multiple parts. And it's been 40 years of global warming, and I'm just waiting for somebody to go, hey, that's a monkey jaw. You know, I mean, just when is that going to happen? Well, I don't uh, want to wait that long for COVID. I just don't. We, we, and, we've um, been that long with global warming. And by the way, um, my favorite guy that I call Meltdown Man, in honor of Piltdown, has been at the center of it nearly that long. And that would, of course, be Michael Mann, who is a total fraud. Well, it is man with two ends made global warming. And we, gentlemen, have filled our hour. So thank you very much for uh, taking time out of your busy days to uh, spend time with me and each other and our audience. And I will take this fabulous collection of commentary and try to massage it into something that's 60 minutes long that people are going to want to listen to. So 
Thanks again for joining us, ladies and gentlemen, GraniteRock.com. Go there. Share it. Spread the word. Rock on.